Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. Okay, we have some big news this week, and I think it's going to make for an interesting episode. Um, It's about the war in Israel, which started last Saturday or thereabout. And I would like to talk about that this week because it has a lot to do with both Christianity and with Bitcoin. And I think there's a lot that we can draw out of that. And I guess, first of all, just to kind of set the context, the Bible obviously speaks a lot about the nation of Israel in a historical sense, uh, through the historical accounts of what happened in ancient Israel. And also it speaks about Israel as a figure for a spiritual nation that was to come in the future, which we know as Christians has manifested in the form of Christianity. Christianity is the spiritual nation of Israel. And so with that context in mind, the nation of Israel that exists today can be seen as a mere creation of man. And that's not to say it has zero role in biblical things today, but it is important to keep that in perspective that the nation of Israel today is not exactly word for word what the prophecies of the Bible are about. The nation of Israel today is largely under the control of secular powers that are, for the most part, not Christian and not in accordance and in harmony with the things of God. There's a guise of wanting to follow the Jewish traditions and things like that, which has a semblance to the Bible. But if you understand the Bible, you can see that the Bible isn't pointing to the nation of Israel as it exists in the world today, but to a spiritual Israel, which is Christianity. Okay, so I I think it's important to just have that clear because a lot of people get clouded in their thinking because they think the nation of Israel today is somehow connected to God and should be defended or whatever. And that's simply not accurate according to the Bible. The Bible speaks of the Israel that was to come as a spiritual nation. That means a nation without a physical component in this world. And that's what Christianity represents. And in the financial sense, that's what Bitcoin corresponds to today. It's a spiritual, non-tangible kingdom, so to speak, a system of wealth that has no physical component. Okay, so that's kind of the context for the conversation that I want to have with you today. Now, again, that's not to say what happens in Israel has no bearing on Bible prophecy or something like that, but it's just to put it in its right frame. Indeed, it does play a role. 
but not as the Israel of God. Okay, so last week we covered the topic of private keys, how they work, what you can do with them, and in particular about this property of being able to hold your wealth without anyone else having the power to take it by violence. Now, taking something by violence doesn't necessarily mean that injury in the sense of physical wounds has to take place. So for example, if someone threatens you and says, give me your wallet, and they threaten you at gunpoint or at knife point, that is violence, even if you hand over the wallet and they don't actually harm you. The act of threatening and coercion is itself violent. To put it in the Pope's words, the thought process is violent. That's terrorism in essence. And that is, interestingly, exactly what is happening on a global scale as the monetary powers are devaluing the currencies of the world. They're essentially, by devaluing it, by printing trillions of dollars, they are taking the wealth invisibly through the devaluation. They're taking the wealth from the pockets of the average person and putting it in the direction of wherever those trillions of new dollars go, which of course is directed into corporations and companies of their own choosing that follow their own agenda. And so in that way, they rob from the poor and from the rich and give to the ones who are doing their purposes. So that is taking by force. That is violence, okay? That is doing something against the will of others without their consent and without their permission and without their ability to prevent it. It's no different than the thug who comes and demands your wallet at gunpoint, okay? And Bitcoin gives a person the possibility to guard their wealth in a way that no other wealth can be guarded because Bitcoin has no physical component and every other form of wealth has a physical component. The thug, ultimately, if you don't cooperate, he can pull the trigger and take your wallet by force himself. And that's what happens many times. And so there's nothing the victim can actually do to prevent that. But with Bitcoin, the choice is yours. You hold the private key and you don't have to give it out. You don't have to reveal it to the thug. Now, the thug might still pull the trigger. You can't make his decisions for him, but you can make your decisions for yourself. And even if he kills you, you do not have to give him the keys to your treasure. Now, that's a powerful thing because what it means is that when you have enough brave people that are willing to stand up for what is right, it's not about the money. It's not about, oh, well, I only had $10 in that wallet anyway, so I'm just going to give him the key and save my life. The principle in that thinking is incorrect because the end effect is that it actually emboldens the aggressor. The courageous thing to do is, regardless of the amount of wealth in your wallet, is to defend that wallet and deny the aggressor access to it even if he kills you, 
And that's something you can only do with Bitcoin or perhaps similar cryptocurrencies, but we're talking about Bitcoin. In contrast to fiat money or any other money that has a physical component to it. Okay, but this raises the question, is that something that everyone wants to deal with? That kind of paints a picture and shows you that Bitcoin is not for the cowards, it's for the brave. But the beautiful thing about it is that with a few brave people, it doesn't take long before the thugs realize that they can't get away with it. It doesn't do them any good. It's just counterproductive to kill somebody and still not get the money. Because now they are a killer, the law is going to be after them, and they have no benefit. So why even bother? And so it could be that some brave souls sacrifice their lives, but in the end, ultimately, it has the effect of dealing with the problem. Confronting thugs with bravery is the only way to stop them. To be intimidated by them is to strengthen them. And this scenario very much has a parallel in the history of the Christian church. Starting with Jesus Christ himself, he was the first one, the first Christian, well, the one that all Christians take their name from. He is the first one that, for the sake of the new kingdom, suffered torture and death. And yet, they could not take it from him. They could not make him deny the fact that he was the son of God. They could not take away his estate as the Lord of heaven. And the New Testament makes it very clear that what Christ did in sacrificing his life for the cause of God was that he secured the kingdom of heaven by his perfect obedience as the Son of God, he secured the kingdom of heaven, which was his by right, and he essentially willed it to the church. Now, this is deep, friends, okay? He willed it to the church, and then by his death, that will went into effect. And the proof of that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost as a down payment or earnest, as the Bible calls it, for the inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. That was the evidence that the disciples had for the fact that their heavenly inheritance was secured by Jesus Christ. And so this is an amazing thing. And what's more amazing is how that connects to Bitcoin. Now, I did a previous episode where we talked a lot about how Actually, a couple of different episodes where we talk, we have talked about how the working of the Holy Spirit is the same model that Bitcoin as a distributed system follows. And I'm not going to go into that again because I think I covered that very well in some prior episodes. But the point here is that this is really fascinating how Bitcoin is connected to this idea of resisting violence, and in so doing, securing wealth, the wealth of the new kingdom, okay? Think about that, of what we just covered, and that's really deep. Okay, now I do want to kind of add something, especially to the topic of last week's message. And last week, again, we talked about the private key, how to protect it, and particularly about this concept of memorizing your private key as a way of keeping it private and secret 
and entirely within your power. But many people are not in agreement with that practice because of the risk of the $5 wrench attack, where somebody can just easily come and threaten you and harm you until you divulge that private key. Well, we've just talked about bravery and how important that is to overcome the thugs. But another aspect to this discussion, which is very important, is the fact that there are many other ways to store the private key that are equally effective and that can assist in this brave resistance, brave and peaceful resistance to those who take money by force or who desire to take the money by force. So, you know, let's just throw out some examples. So, I mean, first of all, one basic principle is don't let on how much Bitcoin you have. That's one way to protect yourself. And this promotes humility, which is also something that Jesus taught. Okay, another thing is you can have a low-value decoy wallet in case you find yourself in a situation where somebody's attacking you with a wrench and demanding your Bitcoin wallet. And although this kind of flies against the idea of showing courage and defending your Bitcoin in the way that I described, it perhaps can be useful in certain cases in the sense that it still might have the effect of teaching the criminals, teaching the thugs, that ultimately they aren't going to get much. On the other hand, they might keep torturing you until you give them how much they expect. And so, I don't know, that argument is a little bit weak in my opinion, but it's an option. Getting to the stronger points here, it's possible to, okay, well, for, first of all, okay, your key can be stored in a place apart from your body, okay, for any sizable amount of Bitcoin. And that way, if a thug attacks you, the most he can get is what you have on you, which might be your, he won't be able to get your stash unless you tell him where it is, which you won't do. Now, even stronger, you can set up a two of three or three of five or any kind of scheme to distribute the key in a way that, uh, for example, two out of three people, or you could say out of two out of three locations, have to be compromised in order to obtain enough of the key to unlock the wallet. This can be another way that makes it almost impossible for a thug attack, for a $5 wrench attack, because you don't have a single point of failure. You don't have a single person that can yield the access to the funds, okay? And then another thing is that Bitcoin, because it's on a public ledger, it can't be spent without the whole world knowing that that Bitcoin has been spent. And so, I mean, just for example, if Satoshi's stash is ever spent, the whole world's going to know it instantly. And frankly, people are just watching to see when that happens, if that happens. But on a smaller scale, you can accomplish a similar level of awareness just by having trusted parties have access to your public key. And you don't want everyone to have access to your public key because that gives them the knowledge of the amount of funds you have in your wallet. But 
you could let some trusted parties know the public key, and they would know that if, in the case of your death, for example, your coins were spent, they could assist in detecting unauthorized transactions and ultimately help track down a criminal and bring them to justice using the public ledger and appropriate investigative techniques, okay? So these are just some of the ways that it can be made very difficult for a thug to get your bitcoins. And all of these techniques should be taught and made common knowledge and can be used in direct conversations with a criminal to make them recalculate whether it's worth it or not to really go through with a heist. It might not pay off. And it might land them in bigger trouble than where they started. So all of these are ways that a person can show courage and bravery in facing the oppressors of today with peacefulness, without violence, and in a way that takes the reward out of the violence committed by others and therefore has the effect of ultimately minimizing violence. And so... In this way, you can see sort of on a small scale how Bitcoin promotes peace, how it ultimately de-incentivizes violence and encourages peaceful ways to resist violence, to overcome evil with good, as the Bible says. Now, that applies not just to the thug on the street, but also to the violence of the state. If you don't willingly, voluntarily give your coins to the state, they don't have the power to take it by violence when it's in the form of Bitcoin. They can't print more Bitcoin to steal the value that way. They can't raise taxes willy-nilly to take the money that way. Ultimately, it's like cash in the sense that you're in control. And in a certain sense, you have voluntary control of paying your taxes, just like a cash business. And that's no liberty to disregard the law, but it does provide a way for peaceful resistance in the case where the laws are unjust or passed without due approval of the people, okay? I mean, there are cases when laws get put in force that were not voted for by we the people, so to speak, and those unjust laws should rightfully be repealed and resisted. And the way that Bitcoin puts in the voluntary will of the individual the capacity to peacefully resist in such cases is much like being able to do cash business that can't really be tracked by the government as long as the money is circulating in the hands of the people and not being routed through the tracking mechanisms of banks and so forth. And that's what Bitcoin allows. It allows person-to-person transactions without any intermediary and without that kind of tracking, in particular when lightning is used and when other uh, privacy protocols are used. Bitcoin, in its simplest form as an open ledger is of course open to tracking. So in a case where privacy is needed, then certainly other technologies need to be used in conjunction with Bitcoin. 
whether that be a combination of lightning or other protocols. So again, this is not advocating any kind of illegal activity, but when the government itself is the one who is doing the illegal activity, Bitcoin puts back in the hands of the people the ability to peacefully resist that. And I suppose this topic wouldn't be complete without mentioning at least Jesus's famous rebuttal to those who are questioning him on the topic of should we pay taxes to Caesar or not. Let me just read those verses. This comes from Matthew 22, starting with verse 16. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So (laughs) right from the beginning, they kind of tried to butter him up and praise him for not being a respecter of persons and for speaking the truth clearly without regard for human authority. And in a way, they were kind of trying to set him up to speak against Caesar's authority to enforce taxes. And they said, tell us therefore, verse 17, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? And by lawful, they meant, is it legal according to Moses's law? In other words, according to the way of God, is it according to God's law to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So to phrase that in today's context, the question is, in the laws of Bitcoin, you know, code is law, and Bitcoin puts in your power the decision of who you pay and who you don't. So it's up to you if you pay taxes. So according to code is law, is it lawful to pay taxes to the government or not? That's the question we could pose today. But, verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness. So what is wickedness in this case? Trying to get out of taxes that are legitimate? Perhaps. Trying to trap Jesus in his words? Perhaps. Whatever their wickedness was, Jesus perceived it and said, Why Tempt ye me, ye hypocrites, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, a coin. Now that's interesting, okay? What coin did they bring him? Well, obviously it was a it was a, a piece of tribute money. It was a piece of the money that was in circulation at that time that was minted by Caesar's authority, okay, ultimately. So the the question is then how would that apply to today? If we would say, show me the tribute money. What is the tribute money? Well, it could be dollars, for example, if, you know, in the context of the United States or in any other country, it would be the local currency, the fiat currency. That's the tribute money. That's the money you pay taxes in. Okay. so he said, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. So if you look at a penny or a dollar, that's the comparison here. And he saith unto them, whose is this inscription and superscription? In other words, who is on the dollar bill? George Washington. They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So now it really gets interesting. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So that answered it for them. They were like, wow. We, there's nothing we can say to that. So what does it mean? 
Render, therefore, unto Caesar things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Well, first of all, you have to recognize the fact that the coin that was in question, the penny that they brought to him, had Caesar's inscription. Now, if something has your name on it, then that's your thing, right? And so that was Caesar's coin. He minted it, or it was under his authority that it was minted. And so in today's world, when you have a dollar bill in your hand and you look at it and you see President George Washington on it, and you know that this dollar bill was minted by the United States government, that's like Caesar's coin. It was created by the authority of the U.S. government, and that makes it theirs. That's what fiat means. But on the flip side, Jesus said, and unto God render the things that are God's. So what is God's and what is Caesar's? Well, as long as you're transacting in dollars, you're transacting in what is Caesar's. That's his economy. That's the money of his kingdom. The dollar bill is the United States currency. That's the money of that nation. And the same applies to every other nation with their local currency. And to the degree that you transact in that currency, you owe them. You owe them the taxes according to their government, according to their law. That's their right. Render, therefore, unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. But in the realm of the invisible, the realm of God, render unto God the things that are God's. Now, what is God's? What has his name on it? Well, you could argue that all of creation is God's, and in a certain sense, that's absolutely true. And therefore, those who respect God also give to him in all aspects of their life, not just in terms of money. But the question becomes interesting when you think about what this implies, that he said, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. He didn't say, render therefore unto Caesar anything that Caesar asks for. A person's obligation is to render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. Is Bitcoin property of the U.S. government? Does it have the name of George Washington on it? Or does it have a different name, namely Satoshi Nakamoto? When you pay with Bitcoin, are you paying with Satoshis or are you paying with George Washington's? You're paying with Satoshis. So what tax should you be paying? What fees should you be paying? Fees to the U.S. government? Taxes to the U.S. government? Or taxes to Satoshi? Taxes to the system, to the network, to the miners who are all operating under the authority not of the U.S. government directly, but under the authority of a system, a distributed system that has no other owner than the people themselves and or ultimately God. If the Bitcoin network is owned by the people, then it only stands to reason that the taxes should go to the people. And that's exactly what happens when transactions are mined. The fees go to the operators of the network, the Bitcoin miners. Okay, now that doesn't mean you have no responsibility to the government of the nation on whose shore you live and operate, but it does draw a distinction and it limits the scope of what is rightfully due to Caesar. And when such insane laws are passed that would tax unrealized gains and 
impose inheritance taxes and things like that on Bitcoin, something that has no tangible reason why the U.S. government has any right to that. Bitcoin allows the people to peacefully protest and simply exercise civil disobedience in such cases, non-violently, just as Jesus on other occasions saw to it that his taxes were paid, but he never yielded his heavenly kingdom to the power of the state. He kept that free of encumbrance as a gift to his posterity after his death. Okay, so I think this is all important and significant, but I still want to come back around to this topic of the war in Israel. Now, an important principle that I think we can take away already at this point is that the nature of the financial system that underpins society has a profound influence on the society itself. And so when you have a system of money like the U.S. dollar, which can be inflated, which is no longer connected to gold, and therefore can be inflated arbitrarily, and the wealth can be taken and is taken on a regular basis from the holders of that currency and redistributed through the channels of unelected powers according to their choosing, when money can be taken by violence, that gives rise to a society of violence. The nature of the money, which is at the foundation of society, influences the character of society. Okay, that's the principle. And that's true also of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, as we've explained thus far, is a system of money that promotes peace. It is a system of money that cannot be taken by violence, assuming that its holders are brave. And again, this has its parallel in Christianity. There was Jesus who demonstrated bravery to the point of death. There were the martyrs of the early church whose blood was seed for the church, meaning that the more they were killed, the more it promoted the growth of the church. And in that way, we, we don't have martyrdom today among Christians for the most part. And the reason is because basically the big government powers realized, uh-oh, it's counterproductive. The more we kill them, the more they spread. And so instead, they make tolerance laws. And they go to the other extreme and dilute Christianity through tolerance. But they realized that they could not win against the courage of Christians, of the martyrs. And the same thing applies in the world of Bitcoin, that there's no way to win against the courageous Bitcoiners who will not yield their private key even to the point of death. And as we show that courage, we defend Bitcoin in the same way that the martyrs defended the church, defended Christ, and allowed and actually contributed to its growth. When you kill somebody that is wealthy in Bitcoin and those keys are lost and that Bitcoin is forever locked, that value is redistributed to the rest of the Bitcoin community. Not the coins themselves, they aren't redistributed. But because those coins are taken off of the hard money cap, it reduces the hard money cap in effect. It reduces the money supply and therefore contributes value equally to all other Bitcoin holders. That's 
a kind of redistribution of wealth that is fair and that has the opposite effect of the redistribution of wealth that is being done by the dollar or with the dollar. Okay, so courage is important. And as courage is exercised, it gives rise to a time of security in the sense that today we don't have Christian martyrs at the hands of big government because the early martyrs have already proven that that doesn't work to the favor of the big government. And so in the same way, courage among Bitcoiners shows that it's not in the government's advantage or in the thug's advantage to persecute or kill a Bitcoiner in order to gain their wealth, because if they're courageous, they won't give it anyway, and it only adds liability and risk to the perpetrator for no reward. Okay, so I think we've covered that. But the point that we're driving at right now is that the nature of the money and the fact that Bitcoin is a peaceful money, that it can be held and guarded peacefully, that gives rise to peace in society. And that might not be entirely obvious at first, because it's one of those things that you kind of have to see over the period of a long time how that works out to really appreciate the fact that it's true. On the surface, it just kind of seems like, well, okay, you know, does it really work? You know, because you can always find counter arguments. You can always say, well, I know a guy that was attacked with a $5 wrench and he lost all his Bitcoins. And yeah, okay, well, maybe he didn't handle the situation as he should have or whatever, whatever, whatever. But there's always this gray area of does it really work? And it takes a certain momentum, a certain groupthink, a certain, not in the bad sense, but a certain group defense of Bitcoin where many people are standing up courageously in peace to defend their Bitcoin to the point where the aggressors just kind of realize, okay, most of the time we get into trouble when we try to take Bitcoin by force. It just isn't the way. There are easier ways to obtain money, like normal, good, gainful employment. Okay, so now here's the amazing thing. And I don't know if this was a coincidence or if it was kind of reactionary, but it so happened that on the same day that the news was flooded with information about the war in Israel, on that same day, October 7, a new documentary about Bitcoin was released. It's a documentary, a 90-minute roughly documentary, about the effect that Bitcoin had on the community of El Zonte in El Salvador. Now, there has been a lot of news and noise about Bitcoin in El Salvador generally, you know, as it has taken on a political aspect and become the currency of the nation and all this. Okay, that's a whole subject of its own. But the documentary that just came out on October 7 is specifically centered on what Bitcoin did in the community of El Zonte, Bitcoin Beach, as it's known. And when you watch that documentary, you really gain a perspective for how Bitcoin changes the world for the better. And you find out that it's a lot less emphasis on Bitcoin and a lot more emphasis on people, on relationships, that Bitcoin simply enables. It sort of 
frees the people, liberates them to be who they should be, better people. And what I found quite interesting was the fact that the documentary recounted how in the past 20 years or so, since the dollar had an influence in El Salvador, that things went to the negative. It showed, first of all, how the country went downhill because, specifically because, of the influence of the dollar over the course of 20 years, and then how, in recent years, things have begun to turn around in the community of El Zonte because of the influence of Bitcoin. And this really shows, in real life, in a practical illustration, one that's big enough, you know, a whole community, to show how the circular economy in a community actually has an effect on that community. It's big enough to show that, but also small enough to be somewhat isolated from all of the political and other things that just tend to confuse the situation. So it was like, it was a nice isolated experiment. And what this shows, it shows in a nutshell, so to speak, how Bitcoin, because of its fundamental principles, contributes to the good of society. It banks the unbanked. It makes it possible to transact between other people, person to person, to facilitate true economy on a local scale without the hand of big government reaching down to oppress the people and to siphon off the wealth that is created by the people themselves without the positive assistance of the government. So it really shows sort of in a nutshell how Bitcoin as a system, because of its properties, how it changes the face of society just by virtue of its use in contrast to the use of other currencies that have other properties, properties that contribute to violence, a violence that is still being felt in El Salvador to this day because of the dollar's influence. And so uh, you can find this film. It's called Dare to Dream. And you can purchase that online and watch it yourself. And your purchases go towards a good cause, of course. But more importantly, the content of the documentary is just highly recommended. I highly recommend it. And it really illustrates this point that we're making in today's message, that the nature of the money, which underpins a society, has a profound influence on the character of the society itself. And this is why, in conjunction with recognizing that Bitcoin is a monetary system that's patterned after the kingdom of God, this is why I can only recommend Bitcoin and not any other currency. Okay, I feel like we spend a lot of time building up to that point and then not much time explaining the point itself. But I guess just to kind of drive the point home, I think it's not just coincidence that the documentary was published on the same day that war broke out in Israel. And it really begs the question of each of us individually, do we want to live in a world where war is the norm and the inevitable? Do we want our society to be based on a currency of violence? Or is it time, has God given a way of escape, an open door 
to a new world that is based on a currency of peace, a currency that enables the peaceful resistance of violence. Yes, it takes courage. The land of Canaan has to be conquered, but yeah, actually that brings me back to an important point, and that's that I wanted to explain why the Bible in the Old Testament seems so violent, and how Israel in the Old Testament seems to be, in the eyes of many, it is seen to be this conquering nation that went in and took possession of Canaan unrightfully. And Christians, of course, understand that it was ordained of God, and that's what made the difference. To go in and take possession of somebody else's land is not right, but God had a reason for it in that specific context, and that was because of the iniquity, because of the sins of the other nations. And it specifically says in the Bible, in the context of the Amorites, I believe, it says that the iniquity or sin of the Amorites was not yet full. And that had to do with the timing that God chose for the Israelites to invade Canaan. He waited until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. In other words, Israel's conquest of Canaan was God's judgment on the Canaanites for their wickedness. And this is what makes the difference between taking a land that doesn't belong to you versus taking possession of a land that God has given you. And of course, there can be discussions about, well, how do you know God really gave you that land? You know, on whose authority do you have that promise? You know, and all these kinds of things. And ultimately, you know, that's what the whole Christian faith and the history of Judaism and, and all of this is about, as explained in the Bible. But the point is, and this is what I kind of want to emphasize here, is that Jesus, when he came, he showed the true meaning of Israel's conquest of Canaan, because he showed that it was only a type for a heavenly Canaan, for a spiritual kingdom, for a kingdom that wasn't based on physical possessions something kind of like Bitcoin, okay? And that in that kingdom, it was a kingdom of peace. Therefore, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, as it says in the book of Isaiah, which is, by the way, an Old Testament book written in the time period when Israel was still a warring nation. And so, even back then, there was always the promise and the longing for a kingdom that would be established on the principles of peace. And that's what Jesus came to show. And those same principles apply very much now in the realm of Bitcoin. Okay, so the point is, from the beginning of time, or shall we say, from the beginning of sin, we've had violence. Cain rose up against Abel, the first martyr, and he killed him. Why did he kill him? Because of physical things. Because Abel had the livestock that was valuable to God as a sacrifice. Whereas Cain had the vegetables, the products of the land that were not valuable to God in the same sense as the sacrificial animal. 
And who knows really what their conversation was in the field before Cain killed Abel, but that was the beginning of violence in this world. And as the forms of wealth changed over the years, in the time of Abraham, it was still very much livestock, one of the main forms of wealth. But Abraham also had gold and silver, so there was definitely currency in the form of metals, precious metals at that time, and a lot longer before that, perhaps going all the way back to Cain and Abel as well, or nearly so. But as the form of wealth changed over the years, it always had this physical characteristic that lent itself to violence. Wealth could be taken by violence whether that be stealing the livestock or stealing the gold or killing people for their land. Whatever the case may be, physical possessions enabled physical violence all through history. And the easier that it is to steal, the more violent the nation becomes. And it's kind of a vicious cycle. And that's why moving off of the gold standard is has been such a terrible thing for society because it has enabled the money to be stolen by the powers of government, the ones who can print the money. It has allowed the wealth of the people to be stolen much easier than in the past. And therefore, the amount of violence that it contributes to is much greater. But only since Bitcoin has been on the scene have we had a monetary system that resists violence and that enables even the weakest of people to secure an arbitrary amount of wealth and defend it courageously against the violators, against the violent, against those who would take it by force. And that is a game changer because never in the history of humanity have we had that kind of money, pure metaphysical, pure spiritual money, pure gold, the money of heaven, something so heavenly. And that brings with it a new era, a new kingdom based on the principle, not of violence, but of peace. Wow, could that be the kingdom of peace that so many Christians have been looking forward to? The millennia of peace? Or is it simply an indicator of the times that we live in, that we are on the cusp of that heavenly kingdom and of the end of this world, which will be destroyed by fire, as the Bible promises. Well, with the war starting in Israel, I think everyone knows where this can lead, ultimately to nuclear world war. Not tomorrow, but the timeline has begun with Israel going to war. So the Bible speaks about the end of the world being like the flood of Noah that destroyed the whole world and only eight souls were saved at that time. And the Bible teaches that the end of the world is going to be like that, except the world is going to be destroyed by fire and not by water. A fire that has the potential to melt the elements. That's what nuclear bombs are capable of doing. They literally melt the elements changing the elements from one to another through the intense heat and pressure of these nuclear reactions. Okay, so the point is, we are facing the end of the world and the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's where the 
nation of Israel in the modern sense over there in the Middle East, not in the spiritual sense. That's where the physical, literal, knit nation of Israel does play a role in Bible prophecy. The destruction of Israel was connected to the end of the world by the disciples. They said, oh, look at the wealth, look at the gold in the temple here. And Jesus said, all that wealth you see, all that gold, it's going to be destroyed. There won't be left one stone upon another. And that prophecy was literally fulfilled. But at the same time, it was prophetic of the end of the world when all the existing forms of money will be gone. Not one stone will be left upon another. All the wealth will be gone. The dollar will lose its value. Gold will lose its value. Everything will lose its value. Ultimately, when the world is destroyed by fire, even Bitcoin will lose its value because it depends on the internet. And without the internet, you won't be able to do anything with Bitcoin. But in the meantime, owning Bitcoin is the way that you can put your allegiance with the kingdom of God, put your allegiance with the kingdom of peace and with the prince of peace by laying up your treasures in heaven, in the intangible, in the metaphysical cyberspace world of Bitcoin. Take it out of this world. Take it out of the physical possessions, the properties, the assets that are all going to be burned up in the great conflagration that awaits. And put that treasure into a spiritual form, onto a distributed blockchain that has, well, quite frankly, it actually has the best chance of surviving a nuclear attack as anything because it's a distributed system all over the world. And if anything survives a nuclear attack, it's going to be Bitcoin because it is so well distributed. But you won't be able to use it without the internet. It'll just be sitting there, hodled on the blockchain, useless until communications, until the internet is restored, which if the world is destroyed as completely as it was in the time of the flood, that will never happen. So the moral of the story is put your money in Bitcoin to show your allegiance with the kingdom of God. But more importantly than anything else, get right with God. Accept Jesus Christ as your savior, the one who founded the kingdom of peace in the first place. Let his peace fill your heart that you may have a part in his kingdom, which is right around the corner. Remember the old Canaan. It was their sins for which God judged them and caused Israel to win the battles against the Canaanites. And in our world today, there is so much sin. There is moral depravity. There is violence. There is the corruption of the human genome. And all these things are reasons why God is allowing the world to be destroyed. Repent. Turn away from these evil things. Turn away from your iniquities. And it may be that you find salvation in Jesus Christ. Bitcoin is a system. It is a technology. And it's in alignment with the principles of God's kingdom. But ultimately, it's Jesus Christ who can save. And if your life and your heart is not in harmony with him, then nothing else can save you. Only through the power of Jesus Christ in your life to help you overcome evil 
Only that way is their salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So take these things seriously and turn away from evil before it's too late and do all in your power to secure what is good, to invest in the kingdom of God and to warn others of the calamity that's coming on the world and that Jesus Christ is the only answer. God calls us to peace, but that doesn't mean that God does not have a war to fight. People think that God is not capable of killing, but the story of the flood dispels that myth. He destroyed through the power of nature that's alone under his control. He destroyed the whole world except for eight people that were saved by his grace because they were obedient to him in building the ark. And it is the powers of nature today that we see the fires burning, the global warming to the degree that it actually is happening. These are things that although mankind might influence, ultimately the powers of nature are so great. Even the astronomers admit that in due time, the sun will scorch this earth. So the powers of nature are so great that ultimately man is powerless against them. And ultimately, salvation comes only through fidelity to God. Any other rebellious form of existence, of trying to secure the world apart from fidelity to God, is a lost cause because ultimately the power is in God's hands. So give your respect to him and let him do his work in your heart to change you and adapt your character to be compatible with his kingdom so that you can live in harmony in a kingdom of peace and not be dependent on the systems of violence that this world has taught and practiced for all the millennia prior. All right, so let's leave it at that. It's a bit of a doom and gloom sermon, but on the other hand, it's also very bright in the sense that it shows how the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of the Prince of Peace, is right at hand. Whether you think of it in the terms of Bitcoin, which today you can put into practice, you can step foot into the kingdom of the Prince of Peace today, by moving your assets into Bitcoin. But it also shows, in connection with the war that has started in Israel, that the literal, the heavenly, the actual physical heavenly kingdom is coming with Jesus Christ. And soon, very soon, you'll be able to step through the fire into that kingdom. God bless you. I hope this message was a blessing, and I hope it gives a welcomed perspective on the war in Israel. And if you have any comments, feel free to share them. Okay, so let's close there. That brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if it has been a blessing to you, please share it with others. If it has provided value to you, please consider supporting it and search for Bitcoin Sermons on Noster for updates and subscribe to Substack, bitcoinsermons.substack.com. Have a blessed week, and I'll be looking forward to next time.